Okay, back from a quick buy round. Should have backed it. Championships day one. Here are our two guests. Our racing expert, uh, News Limited racing editor, Chris Finuccio. Big V, how are you? Hi, John. Going well. Hope you are too. Cheers, mate. And our punting expert, Philip Georgios. How are you? G'day, John. G'day, Big V. Good to see you both. And uh, yeah, a huge week coming up, particularly in Sydney. Um, looking forward to the TJ in particular. Now, we'll keep you uh, in a little bit of suspense, but uh, we will go to the shoulda backed it and shoulda sacked it. And we'll start with you, Phil. Thanks, John. And um, yeah, we, we might have a little theme here today just based on some conversations off air. But uh, my shoulda backed it uh, is was in the Sunlight Classic and it was what you need. I think um, I stuck with Benedetta, who I'd been on in the English sprint and um, stayed a bit loyal, but... Look, no, no, no harm done there. Benedetta will be a horse that will come back and, and win Group 1s, I think, in her lifetime. But for that particular race, over 1,100, uh, with the barrier positions of what you need compared to Benedetta, um, probably should have stuck with that horse. And, yeah, will go on, obviously, to be a pretty strong contender moving forward. So, yeah, in that race, what you need is my backed it. For sacked it, um, I'll go back to race four, and I had the bopper. Um, so no real knock on the horse, but I think last podcast we talked about Kalos and how she, uh, it's, he's a pretty um, hard beat down the straight. And we did spruik it and I've jumped off and gone on to the bopper and, yeah, pretty disappointed that I did that. So I had the bopper as my sacked horse. Interesting point you make there because, of course, we also spruiked Benedetta after one of those recent podcasts. So if we came on here and all said we cleaned up on what you need, I think a few of our listeners might have been a bit uh, disappointed or frustrated to hear that. So And, yeah, you certainly couldn't back them both in that race. So you had to make a decision. I think just Benedetta back to 1,100 inside barrier was her detriment, but we'll see her come back bigger and better. I she was thought. beaten by a, a, a good horse, though, too. It's not like she wasn't bad, was she? A very good horse. And, yeah, those first three, um, obviously dominant and good horses. Chris, why don't you tell us your uh, should have backed it, should have sacked it from the weekend? Well, I'm looking at the Flemington straight races and my backed it, I had it as Kalos because I liked his first up win, but I got seduced by that Sydney form coming down. And my sacked it, I made it Benedetta because if you switch the barriers around with what you need, I think you get a different result. So I think here you've got to... I just got to be more mindful of the barrier of the barriers, particularly with those straight races. So we'll take this opportunity to look back. We might start in Melbourne, uh, Chris. I'll get your comments first. So on the Group One and uh, and any other uh, races in Melbourne that stood out for you? Yeah, well, with the Australian Cup, I had given up on Cascadian. I thought he was just in all sorts of trouble, so I stopped looking at him and I was looking at Numeri and I thought he had the race one. And all of a sudden, Cascadian comes out of nowhere and and just storms home and didn't just win. He still had a, a bit up his sleeve as well. So I think with um, with more luck in the runner, he would have won by a lot more. Also, the unlucky runner as well was Virtuous Circle. That horse has had a, you know, a bit of misfortune the last couple of weeks. Well, things haven't gone his way. And even now, he's going towards the Australian derbies drawn wide. So a bit of the, the hard luck story as well from... That race, and maybe non-conformist, maybe raced a bit flat after that big first-up performance. So we're seeing quite a, a bit of that. These horses run well first up, and then they probably might be overbet the next start, and they we see a bit of that flatness. And the New Zealand horse, I actually thought at some one point the Campionessa might have 
stolen the win. The, the Kiwis have been going pretty well, and we saw that the the previous night in the William Reid. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I thought Cascading was clearly um, the run of the day there in Melbourne. Um, I had my money on it, and yeah, like Big V at the 200, I was a little bit stressed. But Big V, I'm mostly interested with you, mate. Uh, the Roy Higgins, we've seen Goldman win really impressively there. What did you make of that? And I understand it's now firmed up as the favourite of the Melbourne Cup, albeit some seven or eight months away. Yeah, I think it shouldn't be a surprise when the bookies overreact to a win, particularly in a race that had that Melbourne Cup golden ticket. And I could have easily made Goldman my should have backed it. I, I was again, I not so much against it, but it was coming, you know, from, you know, off Broadway type of form coming into a, you know, a stronger race here. And I thought maybe we, we might've seen the best of Solcom, but the difference between Goldman and Solcom is one horse needed to, to win, to get into the Melbourne Cup, which was Goldman and Solcom already had that. I think he's already got that spot secured from its win in the spring. And also with the, the barriers and the way the map looked, Goldman went forward and dictated the race and Solcom was run was uh, ridden a bit more negative. So I probably erred the wrong way. And if you're looking for value from a punning perspective, I'm not sure backing a favourite in the Melbourne Cup at this time of year is going to be your best strategy. Well, going back a couple of years, there was a lot of hype around Chabal when... He won the race in 2019, and I don't think he even made it to the Melbourne Cup, got injured not long after. So it is a long way away. And we've got another uh, – we've got the Andrew Ramston coming up in a couple of weeks' time where the winner of that race also gets into the Melbourne Cup. And, you know, we might see another change because we've got the, the stable, stable mate, White Marlin, I'm sure will be a favourite for that race. We've got a few of those sort of um, those instances in recent history as well, because I think Poisson Stallone might have been in a in a similar boat as well, being a favourite a long way out and barely made it into uh, the end of August. So, Phil, can I just get your opinion? Obviously, a passionate uh, Collingwood fan as well. And when we move these races back into late March, it does actually clash with footy. Did you think that worked? Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, the sporting calendar is pretty packed. It's a bit challenging to get around that fact and um yeah I'd be interested to see the turnover i think that's probably the, at the end of the day the the the, the bit that the, the racing industry looks at when it comes to moving some of these races around but i did think it was a bit of a bit of an error with the all-star mile i just felt like it got sucked up with the first round of the afl season and again this year this week with um a lot of big games in the afl and i think they've had record crowds yeah, I do think it, it impacts the uh, visibility of some of these races and interest levels. So, yeah, definitely something I think the uh, the Racing Victoria and, you know, Racing Australia be looking at about how they can better schedule some of these or maybe be a bit, I don't know, find other ways to sort of stand out because, yeah, I, I do think it gets lost a bit. I know personally I was at the footy on Saturday and you know, it's hard to sort of keep track when you're cheering your team on. We'll go on to the issues of the week. There's two sort of standout, uh, standout ones. We'll start with, with down here in, in, in Victoria where we are with the jockeys. Now, this is an evolving issue. We had three Saturdays in a row where there were falls, um, a total of four falls and four jockeys that are out for a long period of time with serious injuries. Uh, the very first of those was Ethan Brown in the uh, CSAs, or was it Australian Guineas? Australian Guineas in Flemington in early March. Now, the result of that fall, um, that, that Ethan only uh, was able to give evidence during the week to the inquiry from that fall. Um, so that means the suspensions of the jockeys 
involved in that were only allocated this week. Mark Zara's out for a whole month. Blake Shin, 10 meetings. So I wanted to get your take on that, boys. I'll go to each of you on that and whether it's a fair penalty and, and also the bigger picture uh, where you see this issue heading, given that it's been, uh, you know, they've been linked to jockey fatigue and other, and other structural changes within the industry. Might start with you, Chris. Yeah, I thought the penalty was just, you know, 36 meetings. It's it's a lot. It's nearly a month out. And when you look at, you know, if you look to another sport, you look at AFL and, you know, at the moment they're cracking down. They're finally cracking down on dangerous tackles and, you know, head-high bumps. And the only way you're going to eradicate that is having harsh penalties. And I think with these if with these falls, if you, if you want to try and stop them, if one of the reasons, if one of the ways to try and stop them is to, have strong, hard, you know, hard penalties uh, to go with them. I think that's a, that will go a long way. I think it's another argument whether he still gets to ride on day one of the championships and whether, you know, the timing of the penalty, the fields hadn't come out yet for Saturday, whether he, he should be riding this Saturday, whether the penalty should be starting this week. Yeah, I agree that the penalty was, was probably correct. I don't know how big a deterrent it is, though, Big V. I looked at the uh, William Reid, which we just spoke about a moment ago, and there was just, you know, in a big group one around a tight track like Mooney Valley, there was just chaos, really. There were so many checks and so many opportunities for other jockeys to fall in that particular race alone, let alone other races. And I think when a group one or a big race is on the line, jockeys are going to do everything they can to win. So it's hard to see what the solution is, John. I mean, I know a couple of jockeys have come out and Ben Mellon might have been one of them and, and pointed to fatigue. And no doubt that's genuinely an issue for jockeys. We've seen it time and time again with, you know, not just having to get up and, you know, do the, the track work in the morning and race and, you know, multiple race days, but also some of the wasting they've got to do as well and physical um, aspects of being a jockey, you know, getting to the right weight and, you know, you know, sitting in cars with the heater up and the jumpers on and the hoodies on to, to, to make weight. Uh, it, it really is a challenging sport and they've got to then control a, you know, a 500 kilo animal going at, you know, 50, 60 K an hour. So yeah, it's, it's a real challenging one for the industry. And as we have less jockeys through falls and suspensions, it uh, only becomes more challenging, I think. And yeah, I think it's probably time that, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to sort of take stock and, and see how to sort of solve some of these problems. Now, the other issue of the week that we're going to cover today is not not scheduling per se, but obviously we've got a very, very big carnival day up in Sydney this Saturday and then uh, the following Saturday as well with the two days of the championships. Now, I can remember living up in Sydney nearly 10 years ago when they brought in this concept and there was lots of glitz and glamour around it. There's still, we're still left with four very good group ones and a good undercard on each meeting. But just with everything that's gone into the programming earlier in the season and then also in March, I wanted to get your view on whether you both think this carnival stands out as much as it used to. I might start with you on that one, Phil, as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously in Sydney, a lot of investment's gone into their spring with you know big races like the Everest, which which I think has really worked. Um, and, and maybe that means the attention's gone somewhat away from their autumn carnival. But like the reality is the next two weeks of racing is for a peering racing fan is huge. Like we've got, you know, I think eight group ones over two weeks and genuinely good races with full fields. And that 
would excite most racing fans. I mean, you look at the Doncaster full field, you don't know where to look. You're probably getting $10 a field and, you know, it's exciting. And the TJ likewise, and we're going to see an amazing race next week as well with the Queen Elizabeth with Animo taking on Dubai Honor. So I think it's exciting, but perhaps outside of the, the main racing fans, we might have found that it's kind of lost a little bit of its prestige and maybe they might have crowds down or people are focused on the footy. And it seems like that investment may have diminished somewhat. So, yeah, it's an interesting concept and maybe something they'll have to look at. Chris, you've got a strong view on this. There's obviously a few things that have changed over the past few years. Like Phil said, there's been uh, investment in races in the spring. We've got the Everest, but the Golden Eagle as well. And then one by one, the eight, what is it? The uh, the five diamonds and the big dance and all those sorts of ones. But also the Sydney Autumn Carnival has been constantly aff- affected by bad weather over the years. And they've also moved it forward a couple of weeks from where it used to be sort of in mid-April, whereas now it's basically done by early April. Yeah, well, thankfully the weather's a lot better this time or this year, and we might get a good track or a soft five on Saturday. But you, you talked about the, the prize money in the spring, and, you know, a big reason for the, this increased prize money is, you know, for the participants, you know, give them a, a greater chance of getting a good earn. And the, the, the one of the original purposes of, introducing the championships was to attract internationals which didn't happen but now we've got you know we now we've got them here for this year's the championships and there's quite a lot of them but i don't necessarily think that it's made the the championships better because we it's harder to do the form because you've got a lot of unknowns you don't know you know some races the internationals are just so much better but then we saw last saturday you know they the the locals had the better of them and also if we're if we're introducing bigger prize money races why are we trying to entice internationals to come and take that money home it's just um yeah sort of contradictory so i I don't necessarily think we need to why we're trumpeting having all these internationals come for the carnival i think our our racing our the stock that we have here stands up on its own and we still get you know good betting races well said all right well let's get into the carnival um if you guys need to men- mention bendigo at all uh feel free to but otherwise we'll we'll focus on on randwick so there are four group ones on a stacked card lots of good group uh, group races on the undercard as well uh the headline acts we've got the tj smith the weight for age 1200 meter championship uh won multiple times in recent years by both chautauqua and nature strip who is there on saturday we've got the atc derby the new south wales or sydney derby with a very long history over 2400 meters for the three-year-old colts and geldings the doncaster mile which used to be the doncaster handicap a full field for good prize money over 1600 meters i'm pretty sure we've got all ages and and uh Genders represented in that field. And then, of course, the two-year-old race over 1,400 metres, the English size. So, gents, I'll get you to tell us what you're looking forward to. Uh, there's a few um, variables that will come between now and then, namely weather and scratchings. But, just what are you looking forward to as we go to air? Well, I think the, the race of the weekend is the TJ Smith Stakes. And looking at the field, I think there's five horses I've got that can win this race. Nature Strip, Private Eye, I Wish I Win, Giga Kick, and In Secret. If you want to be, if you want to be bold, you you can write off Nature Strip, but 
you know, that is a big risk. And you look at the new market private eye having that inside barrier, like we're talking about earlier in the podcast. I thought that was a big run. I'm, I'm going to lean with Giga Kick. I think if we get wet weather, I think that maybe diminishes the chances of oh, I wish I win. Yeah, I agree that TJ looks the pick of the races, Big V, and I might have been the one I was looking most forward to in our first podcast as well, and it certainly hasn't disappointed. Um, I'll just go through them quickly, John, for the English size. I think Cylinder, uh, off the back of its second in the Golden Slipper, is the rightful favourite there. Just hope it hasn't sort of gone over the hill in terms of its campaign, but, you know, in that field, looks well-placed. For the TJ, um, yeah, for these big races like the TJ and the Doncaster, where you're getting some good value, I always just sort of err towards the overs. So I don't mind the look of I wish I win at around $11. Um, even passive-aggressive, I know um, it probably got the right conditions first up, but $11 isn't bad for it. And the Lost and Running, I know it's a bit of a forgotten horse. I think it had a setback, but you're getting almost 20 to 1 for it, and it's not a bad horse and certainly a good first-up horse. So I'll have a Bit of a closer look on the day, but there's a couple that I don't mind at odds early on. Uh, for the Doncaster Mile, again, a really challenging race, but again, I'll look for odds. And I think Fangirl at $10, the only horse that can seem to beat it these days is Animo. So hopefully it gets its chance and gets the right run. And I think you've got pretty good value there. And finally, in the uh, Australian Derby, just leaning towards Pericles over Sharp and Smart. Uh, but uh, we'll see how that pans out at the, uh, later in the week. Well, I'll tell you what, if Pericles is winning, it could be a big day for the Blue Jackets uh, on Saturday. I like a horse in the Adrian Knox called Sequestered. And, uh, yeah, obviously they're rep- well represented throughout the card. I was with Pericles last start, but I'm taking it on in the derby. I think the 2000, I just thought maybe the 2000 might have saw him out last start. So... I've left him out. I've actually left him out of my top four. I'm taking him on at the distance. So I'm, I might go. I might stick with the the New Zealand Sharp and Smart. But I thought the value in that race was Stroke of Luck, who ironically didn't get any luck <laughs> last start. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Big V. I mean, um, I think the market's really important. I mean, we, we see the opening price here, but we will see drifts as we get closer to the day. So for those types of races, I tend to wait till race day to make any moves, particularly when you're only getting $354. And the coverage is so good too, right, with uh, with the different channels that are covering the sport at the moment. You can watch uh, Bruce McAvaney tell you about these things in real time and it can really inform decisions as well. So we are up to the final furlong, gents. I'll get your uh, your take on each of these. Um, uh, I'll go with mine first just to give you guys a bit of a chance to get warm here. But we are going to go with a favourite memory from one of the championships day one races of the past. I've got two from the ATC Derby to volunteer. I was on track in 2007 when Fia Machino won in absolutely shocking weather under Darren Beedman but at big odds that I was on it. So that was an excellent memory for mine. And then uh, the same race in 2010, one of my all-time favourite horses, Shootout, beat home Desperado and Monaco Console, all of them uh, from the same side, which is the first time that had happened in a Group 1 race as well. So that's my memory. Uh, Chris, we might go to you next. Well, one of my favourite horses you know, around 20 years ago was Sunline and she won a couple of Doncasters. You know, the first in 1999, she just won with Brilliance. And the second one in 2002 was one with uh, with Tenacity. So I think that's a – I think uh, Sunline would probably have to be my Doncaster highlight. 
Yeah, and for me, uh, I always look at the TJ. It's always my favourite race at this time of year. Um, and oh, we saw Chautauqua win three in a row. I think that last one where he's come from absolutely nowhere, I think it still gets replayed and that the audio of the call often gets overlaid on on other on other bits of uh, images as well. It's still probably one of the most um, amazing runs you'll you'll see. But from a punting perspective, it was definitely Santa Ana Lane a couple of years ago. I think I was on it, on him from from the beginning and and was spruiking him all all autumn. So it was good to see him get the chocolates at a pretty good price from memory too, about eight or nine dollars. So they're my favourite two memories. All right, well, it's a big card and it's been a big show, so we'll leave it there. We're obviously going to uh, have to find a way to wrap this up next week and kick off uh, Championships Day 2. But before we go, Phil, what do we say? Good luck on the punt.